What's up, everybody? My name is Shane Kohler, and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here, where each week I'm sharing true-to-life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. Welcome back. This is another episode of The Conscious Love Show. And in today's episode, I wanted to talk about confidence and how to be more attractive. Now, I'm, I imagine the listeners or those of you who are joining me live today, um, I imagine that you've all heard it said at least somewhere that confidence is the most attractive quality. And it is, I, I mean, I, I would agree with that statement. I would agree that confidence is the most attractive quality. And what I want to talk about in today's episode is, well, what is even confidence what makes it so attractive, what prevents us from being confident and how do we access more confidence to therefore be more attractive. And I want to say this, you know, a lot of us, when we're trying to attract a partner, we are putting a lot of emphasis on things that don't matter so much. You know, we agonize over every little detail of, am I perfect? Do I look right? Is a lot of the, a lot of the people I coach, especially women, it's like, sometimes agonize over details that I promise you a man will never even notice. Or if he is critiquing you that harshly, then you need him out of your life ASAP, right? So a lot of times we're focused on the things that are not really that relevant. You know, like if you're having the perfect everything, perfect body, perfect look, perfect hair, perfect personality, saying the perfect thing, doing the perfect thing. Like those things help. Okay. Being, and I want to say there's not even a perfect thing, but being skilled in relationships, being attractive, you know, knowing how to say things that people like to hear those things help. They do. And they're not, it's not bad to do those things. And it's, it's not bad to look good. It's not bad to feel good. Okay. So like none of this is bad. But when there becomes an overemphasis on things that are not really that important and then an underemphasis on the things that are, that's when it becomes a problem. So if you're critiquing every detail about your appearance, when in reality, like somebody's going to see you, they're going to take you in, they're going to take in how you look, you know, you fixing that little detail is not really going to change the person's overall experience of you when they see you. And again, if somebody is critiquing you that harshly, that's somebody you probably need out of your life ASAP, right? So what's going to really matter is how that person feels around you. What's going to really matter, you know, if you're going out on a date, like say it's a first date or a first couple of times, like that person is going to be sizing up your attractiveness. Let's just like talk in terms of like truth, right? That person is going to be sizing up your attractiveness, but they're not going to be picking apart every little detail. What they're going to be doing is they're going to be looking at you, taking in your appearance, taking in the way you look, and they're going to be asking themselves if they can see themselves with someone who looks like you, right? And they're going to be within their own mind, just kind of figuring that out for themselves. You know, can I see myself with someone who has this appearance? And yes, that's largely ego-based, but it's something we all do and we can't really escape it. So there is going to be that general feeling of, can I see myself with somebody who has this appearance or with somebody who has these character traits and so on. But beyond that, like if this person decides, okay, yes, I can see myself with somebody who looks like you. I can see myself with somebody with your personality, with your characteristics. If this person gets comfortable with that, you're done in terms of superficial stuff. Like you've already won them over in that regard. And that is actually not that hard to do. I think we think it's way harder than it is. Like all you got to do is be relatively attractive, 
be relatively personable, be able to carry on a good conversation, be able to be interested in another human being, be able to ask insightful questions, be able to, you know, like keep the conversation going and, and have interesting things about your own life to share that show that you're a unique person with interests and hobbies and all this, right? right? So, but that's not that hard to do actually. Like almost every single person can make themselves look really nice for a date and you know, you might need to learn a few things. You might need to learn a few skills. You might need to learn some conversation skills. Like, but most people can do that without a lot of work. But then what happens is we over-focus on those things and we under-focus on the things that really matter. Is like, What really matters is when I'm on a date with someone or when I'm in the early stages of a relationship with someone, what really matters is how they feel in relationship with me. And really, do they feel safe? Do they feel free? Do they feel alive? Like I'm adding something to their life or do they feel like I'm taking something from their life? And what a lot of us do is we overfocus on the superficial qualities. We underfocus on the relational qualities and then the relationships don't work out and we think it's because we didn't have enough of some superficial quality. But it's actually usually not about that. It's usually that we underperformed on the relational qualities. We underperformed on making this person feel safe, making this person feel free, making this person feel alive. And let me clarify that because it's not your job to make anybody feel anything, but it is your job to show up in a way where they can feel that way without you doing things to interrupt it or without you doing things to ruin that. That is where confidence comes into play. Confidence is the source from which all the positive relational qualities come from. The opposite would also be true, right? Lack of confidence is the source from which all the ineffective relational qualities come from, right? When we start pressuring, when we start pushing, when we start controlling, when we start manipulating, all of that comes from lack of confidence and all of the effective relational qualities come from a place of confidence. So what creates confidence? Well, I heard this said recently. I wish I could remember who said it because I would love to give them credit. I I can't, honestly. And what this person said was they said that confidence is not about feeling confident necessarily, but confidence is about courage. And I've always linked those two when I speak. I've I've always linked confidence and courage together because they go hand in hand. Confidence is not about feeling confident all the time, but confidence is about having the courage to do the thing that needs to be done in that moment. And if I work on having the courage to do the thing that needs to be done, confidence is going to come with that, right? It might not be experienced all at once. It might not be experienced, you know, in a bright flash of, I feel incredibly empowered. You know, the road to confidence is often filled with moments where we feel very small and like, you know, very insignificant. And like sometimes going through those experiences is the road to building confidence. So confidence isn't about feeling confident, but it's about having the courage to do what needs to be done. And if I focus on having the courage in each individual situation that's calling forth something from me. If I focus on having the courage and I do it consistently over time, then confidence will come. Confidence will be the natural result that will come from that. Because what I will start to do is I will start to recognize myself as somebody who has the courage to do what needs to be done. And when I recognize myself as that, that is a change in identity. That's a change in how I think about myself, how I feel about myself, how I view myself, which then ultimately reflects on what I believe that I'm worth, what I believe is available for me, what I believe I can have in my life. This is all connected. It's all tied together. When it comes to being attractive, yes, in a general way, you want to look your best. Yes, in a general way, you want to have some skills at relating, at conversing, at being interested in other people, at asking them questions right? You want to, you want to have some skills about that. What you want to do beyond that is you want to really start to think about how are people feeling in relationship with me? You want to trust. I I did a podcast episode about trust. And if you haven't listened to it, you should, 
because it trust is so foundational for everything I speak about. That's why I did that episode so you could have that context. And you ultimately have to trust that your level of looks, your physical attractiveness, that your level of relatability, your personality, you know, your, your likability, your lovability, you ultimately have to just trust that that's enough, right? So you do, so you do whatever you do to look good and feel good and all that, but then you've got to, at some point be like, okay, that's enough. And I'm done there. And then you've got to focus on the relational aspects. If we're embodying confidence in every stage of the relationship, I see a question here. It says, how does this apply on a date? So if, if we want to talk about just being confident at every stage of the game, from the first date to the first few dates, to the first few weeks, to the first few months, and so on. So what does it look like on a date? If I'm defining confidence as the courage to do what needs to be done, then we would have to ask the question, what needs to be done on a date? And then have the courage to do that. And my, where I come from in coaching and when I work with people is that the thing that needs to be done is the most shameless representation of who you are authentically. It's the, and, and I say shameless, I don't mean obnoxious, but I mean without shame. To represent yourself authentically without shame. That's the ultimate goal. That might sound simple, but those of you who are self-aware know that this is incredibly difficult sometimes. So that's the goal. That's, that's the aim. That's what, quote, needs to be done. Now, what I want to say, it doesn't need to be done perfectly. If you screw it up, it's okay. Or if you go home after the date and feel like, oh my God, I totally made a fool of myself. It's okay. And part of developing confidence is having the courage to even do that and feel that. I hope what I just said makes sense, right? Part of developing confidence is having the courage to feel like you screwed it all up, feel like you fell flat on your face and and be willing to experience that. If you were being yourself on a first date, like we've got to look at motivations here. And some of the ways it shows up on the surface could be like me trying to say something to get them to like me or me trying to present myself in a certain way, whether it's with how I dress or how I, the things I say or the the mannerisms or the, you know, whatever it might be. But what most of us do, and we often do it on a level that we're not even aware of, is we adjust ourselves to try to get people to like us in, in a basic way of having manners and having social graces. Like that's okay. You know, it's okay to adjust yourself a little bit to be polite and respectful and respectable. But when it goes beyond that and when it goes to, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm withholding certain things, like there might be natural impulses that would come up. Oh, I want to say this. I want to share this. Oh no, no, I can't say that. I can't share that. Right. What would they think of me if I shared that? Or or I want to ask them a question, but I'm afraid to. And so I don't ask the question I want to ask because I'm afraid they won't receive it the right way. So there's, there's a level of adjusting ourselves for this person to try to get them to like us or to try to produce some kind of result, to try to get a second date, to try to get them to call us afterwards, to try to get them to want us to take us home or whatever it is. And so rather than just being me and letting me being myself create the moment and decide where we go from here, I, in an egoic way, insert my ego in there and try to adjust what needs to happen based on what my ego thinks needs to happen. And those of you who follow me and and know, are familiar with what I talk about, the ego is, the ego is the protective self. It's the, it's the, the, the part of me that feels that I'm not enough. And so I try to anticipate, manipulate, and control situations and circumstances to mitigate the disappointment or the feelings that I assume I'm going to have because of my belief that I'm not enough. I just broke that down really quickly. I hope that made sense. (laughs) I insert myself into the situation in an egoic way rather than letting my natural impulses, my natural authenticity come through. Rather than letting myself come through, my ego intervenes and adjusts the situation based on what I think the person is going to like. If you can realize how insane that is, I mean, how could you possibly know what that person would want? You're only going off of what you think you would want, which often is not what the other person wants. And that causes a lot of problems in relationships. So it's a completely insane approach. It does not work. It does not work at all. 
And yet we try it and, and we go and we read the books and how can I be more? How can I do it better? How can I be different? Right? Rather than just how can I be me would be a better question. On a date, on a first date, it would look like that. Just having the courage to not filter yourself. Now, again, I'm not telling you to be impolite or ridiculous in any kind of way, like have manners, have social graces, be respectable, right? But, but don't filter yourself. Don't adjust yourself to try to get the other person to like you. Be you. Ask the questions you want to ask. Say the things you want to say. You know, I often say it's totally okay on a first date to just let the person know, hey, before we take this any further, like, you know, I really like you. I've had a great time tonight. But before we plan a second date or anything like that, I just want to know. Like, I'm looking for a long-term relationship. Are you looking for the same thing? Like, it's totally okay to say that. There is no shame in saying that. There is nothing wrong with saying that. And, and I'm not saying you should say that. But if that would be natural for you, if that would be authentic for you, if that would be the thing that you feel is right, and you're unwilling to let yourself say that, that's where you've got to look. Now, if we apply the same principle going forward, right, in the first few months, first few weeks, and, you know, building the relationship. Confidence would come from a place of, I don't need this relationship to happen. I was okay before this. God forbid this doesn't work. I'll be okay after this. If this is not what I'm looking for, then I don't want it, right? If this is not ultimately the relationship I'm looking for, then I don't want it. And so I would actually try to get people out of my life. I don't, want, I don't want that to be misinterpreted. I'm not going to actively try to get people out of my life, but I'm going to, I'm going to give them opportunities to fail. And if they fail, I'm going to let them fail. And I'm going to let that in. Because from a confident place, I'm not trying to grasp or cling to anything. Right? I'm not trying to hang on to something that's not meant for me. Now, again, confidence is not perfection, but confidence is the courage to do what needs to be done. So I'm not saying you need to feel good about all of this. I'm not saying you need to feel like, oh, this is so amazing. I'm letting this person go and I really liked him. Like, no, that's dumb, right? That's dumb if you, unless it's authentic. And like, I want to say, I have, I have had times where I ended relationships with people that I liked. And while I didn't feel, oh my God, this is amazing. While there was some sadness around it, there was also a goodness about it. There was also a, I feel free. I feel like I'm on the right track. I feel like I'm moving towards the right thing. I feel like I'm making the best decision for me. And so there was a, a goodness about it, even if it wasn't like, oh my God, exactly what I wanted, right? But, but confidence is not clinging to anything. As you're getting to know somebody new, you want to really be conscious. And when I coach people, this is where I coach from. You want to really be conscious of the perspective is not, do they like me? But the perspective is, do I like them? And it's not limited to, do I like them? Like I might like them, but it's also, do they share my values? Do they show up for me? Do they make an effort? Do we have a common vision for the future that we both want in, in general, the same things? Not that there's not some room for negotiation and some room for discussion about it, but in general, do we want the same things or do we want completely different things? You know, like just an obvious example, do I want a committed relationship, but this person wants to fuck around with anybody they meet, right? And, and if that's the case, like I might like this person and just because they want to do that doesn't make them a bad person. Like that's important. A lot of times we, it's, it's easy to just say somebody like that is a bad person. No, they're not. They're just exploring life in the way they want to explore it. And we have a difference in values. And confidence, actually, that's an interesting point too, because confidence doesn't need to make them a bad person or make something wrong in order to walk away or in order to say we're not a fit. Confidence can just simply say we're not a fit. And I love you as a human being. I might not be in love with you, but I love you as a human being and I wish you well and I, I want the best for you and I want the best for myself and I don't think we're going to find that together. That's a confident approach. Confidence is not clinging to anything. Confidence is not holding on to something. Confidence is not afraid of what it's going to miss out on. 
what we need again is not the perfect confidence, but the courage to do this. Now I was on a discovery call earlier and we were talking about this and she said to me, she goes, so are you saying just fake it until you make it? And I I said this, I said, well, it's not exactly fake it until you make it. People do say that sometimes and it can be interpreted that way. This is what I think is the difference. It's not fake it till you make it. It's work through it as you go, right? Fake it till you make it often ends up having us feeling like a failure because we were faking it, faking it, faking it, and never really making it. And then ultimately we just feel burnt out and exhausted and our faking it didn't really pay off. So I'm like, work through it as you make it. If we were to take an example of maybe, maybe you're in the first few weeks of a relationship. Maybe you've been on say three or four dates. You're getting to know this person. It's a fairly new relationship. You like them a lot. Say you think they like you a lot. You think this could be going somewhere. And maybe you have some questions. You know, maybe you want to ask them about past relationships. Or maybe you want to ask them about, you know, what they see in the future, what they want, where they see this going, right? Maybe you have some questions and you're afraid to ask. Okay. Now, what the ego says is the ego says, no, 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 don't ask the questions. If you ask the questions, you're going to make a fool out of yourself. They're, or, or they're going to, they're going to not like you. You're going to put pressure on this. They're, like, whatever. That's what the ego says, right? The ego says, if you ask the questions, which is really saying, and we don't, we don't go this deep with it most of the time. But if you think about what the ego is really saying in a moment like that, it's saying, if you be yourself, this person will not love you. Now, why is the ego saying that? Because it doesn't believe you're lovable. The ego operates from the fundamental assumption that you're not lovable. And so it's always trying to protect you from the potential fallout of that, right? It's always operating from the assumption that you're not lovable, you're not worthy. And so it's always trying to anticipate any time that you might feel the fallout from that and anticipate it before it happens and protect you from that which ends up having us live a very small and limited life. The ego is always going to try to limit you. It's always going to try to prevent you. It's always going to tell you that if you do that, you're not going to be loved or this person's not going to love you. What you've got to do, what confidence would look like in that moment is feeling the discomfort, feeling the momentum from this old egoic pattern and where in the past you might've just said, okay, I'm not going to bring it up. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with the flow and see what happens, but I'm not going to rock the boat here. And the ego would tell you to do that. So what confidence would look like is saying, I'm going to do it. And even if I do it with a shaking voice, I heard that said once too, is, you know, ask the question, even if you ask it with a shaking voice or speak your truth, even with you, even if you speak it with a shaking voice, right? But the, but the spirit under that, or the point is that It's not about doing it perfectly. It's not about feeling it 100%. It's about having the willingness and the courage to do what needs to be done and trusting that if I do that, everything else will be okay. Like I can't, like the only thing I'm unwilling to do is not honor myself. I am willing to do absolutely anything except dishonor myself or neglect myself. And that is like, if if we were to break it down, like that is confidence. I am willing to do anything except dishonor myself. And if you can get a hold of that to some degree and start to work with that in every situation and this, you know, we're talking about relationships and I usually do, but this applies at work. This applies in all instances. And if you can start to get a hold of that and, and, and own that in all situations, And if you own it at work, it'll translate to your relationships because what happens is it's like working a muscle. We could call it the confidence muscle, but what it really is, is it's the worthiness muscle. It's the, I am enough. I am worthy. I am lovable. And fundamentally all of our limiting beliefs, you know, they take all different kinds of shapes and all different kinds of forms and it gets really complex and the ego, the ego loves to have it be complex and and keep it really complex because, because if it's really complex, it's really difficult to understand and really difficult to sort out. 
so many clients who come to me or people I talk to, or even, you know, just the comments I get in the, in the messages and things is like, people are always saying like, wow, what you say makes so much sense. And I think one of the reasons I'm able to make sense of these things is because I boil them down to absolute principles. And so I boil them down to the fundamental principles. And then if we can understand the fundamental principles that are underlying things, then we can understand the complexity of how it all works out. But if we only look at the complexity, we never really get to the underlying principle. And so what I was saying is, before I got off on that, is that this is a worthiness muscle that we're building. Every time you choose to get the courage to do what needs to be done, Every time you choose to have that uncomfortable conversation or ask that question or take that step or say, hey, what are we doing here? Where is this going? You know, what, how do you feel? Like every time you have the courage to do that, you are sending a subconscious message to yourself that you are worthy. Every time you have the courage to do what needs to be done, right? And that might look different in different situations. But every time you have the courage to honor your truth in a situation, you are working that worthiness muscle. You are sending a subconscious message to yourself that I am worthy. That gets integrated into your identity, into who you believe you are, into how you view and feel and think about yourself. As you integrate this and your identity starts to shift and, you know, it's not about, like we all want some, some like big moment where everything changes and it's, and it's fixed forever. But it's not about that. And nobody wants to hear that it's about those like little moments when you do the right thing in that moment, when you honor yourself in that moment, when you have the courage to say, no, I'm not going to go home with you tonight. Or, or I want to have a conversation about where we are and where this is going because I don't feel right about this. Or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, when you have the courage to honor yourself like that in each of these little situations, you know, uh, another one would be, Like, I don't feel that we're aligned here and I don't want to continue this, right? And I'm not holding on to that fear of if I let this go, nothing else is going to follow, right? Actually, this is the interesting thing. So many of us are so afraid that if we let go of what we're holding on to, that something better will not follow. So many of us are so afraid of that. And when you hang on to that, you are sending yourself a subconscious message that says nothing better will follow. And when you let it go, you are sending yourself a subconscious message that something better will follow. And I want everybody to hear this. Every choice you make, every action you take, everything you do or don't do, everything you say or don't say is sending yourself a subconscious message about who you believe you are. And that is being integrated as a part of your identity, as how you view yourself, how you think about yourself, how you feel about yourself. The collection and combination of how all of that gets integrated and how all of it gets digested and put together in your own subconscious determines what you believe is possible for you or not. That is really powerful. It's really about these small moments, the cumulative effect of honoring myself in these small moments every time. And then as I do that, my confidence starts to build, my worthiness starts to build, my, I mean, attractiveness is, attractiveness is connected to all of this. So as your confidence and your worthiness builds, so does your attractiveness. My belief in what is available for me and what's possible for me the kind of relationship I could have, the kind of partner I could have, all of that starts to increase. It's all connected. It's all related. You know, there's no, there's no way to circumvent any of this. The only way out is through. Like you have to, you have to go through it. You have to go through those difficult moments when you feel afraid, when you feel like you're not enough, when you feel like you're going to lose this person, when you feel like all of it, right? You have to go through those difficult moments And say, what is my most authentic truth in this moment? And honor that. And every time you have the courage to do that, you build that muscle. You you shape that identity. You ultimately raise your vibration. You know, everybody's like, you know, Shane, can you give me a meditation or a breathing exercise I can do to raise my vibration? 
And I'm like, if you want to raise your vibration, like, yeah, meditation helps. I, I meditate every day. But if you want to raise your vibration, go do those difficult things that you haven't been willing to do. Go work through those uncomfortable things that you've been avoiding and let that raise your vibration. Like, that's the best way to do it. And everything else is like all the meditation and the breath work and stuff, it, it helps. It does help. I don't want to minimize it or dismiss it in any kind of way. But to a large degree, all it does is make you feel okay with where you currently are or soothe the anxiety about where you currently are, which is important, which is necessary. But from that soothed place, you've got to go do the work. You've got to go do that thing you've been avoiding. Take that risk that you haven't been willing to take and see where it leads you. And all of this, now I want to talk about attractiveness a little bit here. Because all of this goes into our level of attractiveness. All of this goes into our level of, I've already said it, our identity, how we view ourselves, how we feel about ourselves. But then what happens in relationship with other people is they start to experience us as a high value person. And this isn't even something that needs to be talked about. It isn't even something that you need a strategy to try to create. Like, how do I present myself as a high value person? What do I need to say? What do I need to do? It's not like that. Because it's like when you, going back to what I said, confidence is I'm willing to do anything except dishonor myself, right? I want you to imagine if you, if that was your driving motivation across the board in every situation 100% of the time, I am willing to do anything. I'll work as hard as I need to. I'll go as far as I need to go. I'll, I'll be as vulnerable as I need to be. I'll put myself out there. I'll take any risk. I'll let go of anything that doesn't serve me. I am willing to do anything except dishonor myself. That's the only place I won't go. And if you were to operate like that, 100% across the board, you would cultivate an energetic presence about you that would, when you met somebody or when you were on a date with them or when you were relating with them, their experience of you would be like, whoa, like, whoa, this person is amazing. And I want to say like, it doesn't mean that everybody would fall in love with you. Like some people, when they experience the presence of a person like that, this is something that happened to me a lot when I was dating. Because this is a principle that I actually, I actually worked with very early on. I was fortunate to have some great guidance, some great coaches, and and you know people who were able to help me understand these things. And this was a principle I worked with from pretty early on. You know, I'd say my mid twenties, I started working with this in a real way. And what would happen to me is I, I would still attract not low quality people, but you know, people that we weren't really on the same page. And the reason was, is because like my vibration wasn't clear. I hadn't really gotten to that place myself yet. And so I was still attracting people that, you know, weren't necessarily a fit for me, but I had also gotten to a place where I was not willing to dishonor myself. So where in the past I might've like tried to please somebody or how can I do better for you? How can I be more for you? And, you know, kind of bent over backwards to let them, you know, rule my life or whatever. Right. And, and then, or I might've hung on to something that wasn't right just because I was afraid to let it go just because I didn't want to be alone. Right. So pretty early on my, somewhere in my mid twenties, I got to a place where I wasn't doing any of that anymore. And I was like, no, you know, I had a couple of experiences that really taught me that I cannot do that. And I stopped doing that. But then what I would encounter were people that I really liked and I thought they liked me too, but then they would ultimately just not want the relationship. And I would, I would feel like I wasn't enough and I would be really hard on myself feeling like, you know, I'm showing up worthy. I'm showing up powerful. I'm being vulnerable. Like I, I thought I was doing everything right. And yet a lot of these people were not picking up what I was putting down. And what I realized in, in retrospect, and I actually, I didn't see this until I got into a relationship, like, or let, let me say this, until I met my wife and I, and I was like into a committed relationship with my wife and I knew this was going to last. 
And that's, that's when I really was able to kind of put all the pieces together was that it's not that I was not enough for those people. It's more that they were not enough for me. And this isn't, this isn't a, a conversation about anybody's inherent worth or value, right? So I don't want to say that those people were not enough in any inherent sense. They were perfect, whole and complete, just like we all are. They were not in a place where they were ready to bring the kind of relationship that I was looking for. I remember one woman in particular. This was, this was like a situation where we had a very intimate friendship. Like she, she liked to like have me sleep over and like snuggle, but we weren't, we weren't sexual, but of course I wanted it to be, but she wasn't willing to go there, but we had a very intimate friendship and we would spend like stay up all night talking and we would like sleep over at each other's houses. And we just had this very close, intimate friendship and I wanted more. And I was very open about that. And like, here I am thinking like we have this amazing relationship. Like we, we have dinner at each other's houses and we cook for each other and we stay up all night talking and, and we, you know, like all this stuff. Right. And we just had this, like what I thought was an amazing, amazing relationship. And I was like, if we could just be together, like that would be it. That'd be great. Right. And, um, and I just, I, I didn't, I had no shame about it. I wasn't afraid to bring it up. I was, I was quite confident actually about myself at that time. And I said to her, I, I, you know, I I like you. I like what we have here. I want it to be more than a friendship. And she was unwilling to like, give me a straight answer. You know, what I see now in retrospect was she wanted to keep what we had. And she knew that if she gave me a straight answer, I would be gone because she didn't want an actual relationship with me. And, but ultimately, I mean, this could only last for so long and she started dating someone and I, I realized really quickly that nothing was gonna happen with us. But what I saw was she started dating this guy who was the owner of a nightclub, who was addicted to cocaine, who would come home at like two in the morning. And I remember like one night she called me and I was actually in another relationship at this time and she calls me at like 4 a.m. And he had come home drunk and was like breaking shit in the house and stuff. And she's like, she's like, can I go over to your house? And I was like, yeah, you can. I'm not there. But, you know, I was, I was at my girlfriend's house. But I'm like, you can go to my house. You know, you can make yourself at home and just stay there so you're safe. And we even maintained a friendship, you know, after all this. But, but what I realized, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm sharing this story for educational reasons. I don't, I don't say this to say anything negative about her or anybody else. But what I realized was that she was not ready for the kind of relationship that I wanted to have. And it was that simple. She, for whatever reason, needed to go have that kind of relationship. I don't know why. That's not my business. And I don't have any judgment or anything. But that was what she needed to do. And I thought I wasn't enough for her. And it wasn't until, like I said, it wasn't until I I met my wife and got settled into our relationship and and I kind of looked back at everything. And I really realized that to a great degree, I did things right all along. I'm not saying I didn't make mistakes, not saying I didn't royally fuck it up sometimes. I mean, those of you who have heard my stories, you know I've made some mistakes, right? So I'm not saying I didn't make mistakes or screw it up sometimes, but largely I did it right the whole time. You know, when I was very young, I got it that I need to honor myself above all else. And to a large degree, I did that. I didn't do it perfectly, but to a large degree, I did that. But it again, it took me... It took me a long time to really understand that even when you're doing it right, that doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. Even when you're being the most attractive version of yourself, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be attracted to you. And it was a huge, huge level of maturity for me. And, And I think this totally plays into confidence and attractiveness. When I was able to date, And I dated a lot. I dated like I've shared on here and I share in my program, like the way I decided to do it, this was a decision I made for myself is I said, anytime I meet somebody that I think there is even remotely a possibility with that we could have a good relationship or, you know, the kind of relationship I was looking for, I'm just going to ask them to get a cup of coffee. And I would sometimes have three, four dates a week, you know, just because I had a very active life. I was doing a lot of things. I knew a lot of people. I was going around. I was busy and I would meet a lot of people. And so if I was having a conversation with someone somewhere, we were just chatting and, and I'd be like, hey, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation. Would you like to have a cup of coffee and get to know each other better? And I, I honestly think that is something that a man or a woman could say, and it would, it would be no big deal. So I think it's totally okay either way for either person to say that 
if you meet somebody and you want to get to know them better, like just in the middle of conversation, like, Hey, I really love talking to you today. I'd love to grab a cup of coffee and get to know you better. How would you feel about that? Like totally okay for anybody to say. And the, the reason I was saying this was because I dated a lot and I had to get really clear on looking for compatibility and compatibility meant I like this person. They like me. We have a similar vision for a future together, right? Like or not, not necessarily together, but we have a similar vision for the future, right? Like we both want a long-term committed relationship for starters, right? We both want to live in the same house, right? Like just in overarching goals, we're kind of headed in the same direction. And so I had to start looking for compatibility. And when I started doing that and recognizing that like, look, if if somebody wasn't attracted to me, that was not a reflection on my worth. That was a reflection of our compatibility, right? Because there are a lot of factors that go into attraction. Part of it is like pheromones and how people smell and like, like things that we're not even in control of, right? Things that are operating on a level that we have no say over. It's like, a, it's like something that's just built into nature. And then we beat ourselves up for not you know, somebody not liking us or being attracted to us in that way or somebody feeling like we're more of a friend to them. But that's just the way it is sometimes. And so a huge part of confidence is being willing to being willing to hold that line for yourself of I'm never going to dishonor myself under any circumstances in any situation. And then being willing to let whatever happens happens from there without internalizing it as a reflection of your inherent worth. This is really just a practice in, in those small moments, like I said, and those small moments outside of what do I do outside and also the small moments, small moments inside. When I see myself thinking I'm not enough, and this is where we talk about inner child healing and you know, self-soothing practices where in those moments, you've got to have a way of coming home to yourself, of reminding yourself that you are enough. And that's, that's a little bit different direction of work. So I don't want to get too far into that. But all of this is, is the process of building confidence, of building attraction, of building attractiveness. And then I'm going to end with this and then I'm going to open up for some questions. When you do everything I've been talking about today, so I've talked about a lot here. I've talked about several different facets of it. But when you do everything that I'm talking about today, what starts to happen is people start to experience you in relationships in a way that makes them feel safe, in a way that makes them feel free, and in a way that makes them feel alive. And I think those three things are very important, right? I need to feel safe, like you're not trying to hurt me or you're not trying to take something from me. Um, I need to feel free, like you're not trying to trap me or limit me in any way. Like, you, like your, your heart's desire is my greatest expansion, even if that means it's not with you. And that is such an important point, is like people... I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. People need to feel from you that your greatest desire for them is their greatest expansion, even if that's not with you. And if somebody doesn't feel that, it's going to be very hard for them to fall in love with you, if, if not impossible. I'd say it'll, pro it'll probably be impossible for them to fall in love with you in a real way because that is so essential to what love is. And so can somebody really feel love when they're not in that context? I don't think so. When you show up with confidence, you give people the space to feel safe, to feel free, and to feel alive, to feel that your presence is adding to their life, right? It's not, it's not I need to keep you in my life for me, but it's, it's more like me being in your life is such a contribution to you that you, that you like, can't imagine not having me around. It's that kind of experience. And that's what I felt when I met my wife. That's what she felt when she met me. And it wasn't a logical thing. It wasn't like we were sitting there with our checklist checking the boxes. It was like an intuitive thing. Like, oh, this is interesting. This, this feels different. This feels free. This feels alive. This feels safe. This feels like home. And the reason that we were able to feel that with each other is because of all the work we did on ourselves leading up to that. If I had met my wife as the emotional person I was when I was a few years younger, she would not have felt that from me and she would not have wanted to be with me. And that's just the way it is. 
I'm going to, I'm going to end it with that. I want to open up for some questions now. So Sonia Q asks, can we have low self-worth from what happened to us in adult life? Or does it always come from childhood, even if it wasn't perfect, but not that terrible either. And we did get love. Okay. Awesome question. Awesome question. Does it always come from childhood? Well, it's a cumulative thing really in the way I understand it. And to, to talk about this, we've really got to talk about the ego. Those of you who follow my work or or, are familiar with it, you've probably heard me talk about the ego quite a bit. So the first person to really identify the ego and really talk about it was Freud. And so uh, a lot of psychology is based in Freudian psychology, which is basically about the ego. And um, he identified three aspects of the ego. You have the ego, the id, and the superego, which are different facets. The ego is kind of like the foundational structure the id is kind of like the basic animal structure that just wants to have hedonistic pleasures all the time. And then the superego is kind of like this responsible person that we present to the world, right? I have it together. I've got all my stuff together. I, I know what I'm doing, like that kind of thing. And so that's the, that's the ego according to Freud. And the, um, where I learned about the ego in depth was actually through A Course in Miracles, which is a metaphysical text that is based in Freudian psychology, but with a spiritual aspect to it. And that's where I learned most of what I know about the ego is I've been studying The Course in Miracles for, I mean, a decade now at least. So um, to, to answer your question, I wanted to give a little context about what I'm speaking about before I answer this question. So the ego is basically a survival mechanism that develops in early life and we all develop it. Now, there are some people who claim to have undone their egos and be free of their egos. Um, I can't speak to how true that is or not. They claim it could be true. You'll have to, you'll have to experience them and make up your own mind about that. What I do know is that we all develop the ego in early childhood. And even if you got love, you know, it's not perfect. It's not perfect for anyone. But, you know, like for me, for example, I had a very loving mother. But I also had a 19-year-old mother who was like in a very tough position in life. She was a college student working a full-time job, trying to be a mother, could barely make ends meet, could barely keep a roof over our head, and trying to have a love life at the same time. And she brought men into our lives that, you know, were not always the best. Um, they weren't bad necessarily, but they weren't always the best. They weren't right for her. So in, like that, that was my story, my early childhood. And so I had a mother who loved me very much, who she worked very hard to provide for me. And then I also had a lot of situations in my life that caused me to feel alone, that caused me to feel abandoned, that caused me to feel unloved, that caused me to feel separate from others, that caused me to feel less than others. You know, growing up in poverty, I developed a, an identity that I was less than others. Why? Because other people seemed to have the ability to do a lot of things that I couldn't. And I just developed a, a sub, subconsciously, I developed the identity that I was less than other people because other people got to do a lot of things that I wasn't able to do. You know, if there was a birthday party and you had to pay 50 bucks to go, well, some of my friends got to go, but I didn't get to, right? So that was the kind of thing that I, that was the kind of identity I developed as a child. We all develop this in our own unique way. Uh, there's not a single person in the world who hasn't. It's, it's part of being human. And what it really is, is we experience pain, we experience sadness, we experience shame. Shame is probably the biggest one around all of this. And then out of those negative feelings, the ego develops as a protective mechanism. And it basically says, you know, the ego's kind of promise to us. It, it doesn't fulfill its promise, but the promise it makes to us is that I'm gonna protect you so that you, know, you never have to feel these things again. And so it's uh, Eckhart Tolle defines the ego as a mind-made false sense of self. It's, a, it's an identity that is not me, but it's, it's an identity that's been created in my mind that I think is me. And I live my life as though that's who I am. And then who I really am is kind of blocked out of my consciousness. That's why in my program, we, we, we are aiming at creating a relationship with the authentic self and giving the authentic self more expression. 
the ego develops for all of us in early childhood in whatever ways we feel unsafe, in whatever ways we feel shame, in whatever ways we feel we need to protect ourselves. And then what happens is throughout life, the ego strengthens itself based on the framework it developed in early childhood. So if in early childhood I developed an idea that I'm less than others, using my example of not getting to go to the birthday party or whatever it might be, if I develop an idea in early childhood that I'm less than others, then throughout my life I start to become hypersensitive to all the times and situations that could be perceived that I'm somehow less than others. And then when I'm hypersensitive to that, what I, it's like a, we're like attorneys building a case against ourselves, right? And so what we do is we, we start to find all the evidence in our lives of how I'm less than, oh, I'm less than here, I'm less than there. Oh, the other person got the promotion at work. Oh, well, my ex left me for their ex-girlfriend, so their ex-girlfriend must be better than I am, and, and on and on and on. And we build a case against ourselves based on the impressions we developed in early childhood. And that's how the ego develops. The ego is very invested in its own perpetuation. So the ego has a lot of momentum behind it to build this case. It's like, I think of the ego as, as kind of like an out of control computer program. You know, if our, if our brain or our mind is like a supercomputer, you know, the ego is kind of like an out of control program that very early on in life, it was like programmed to protect us. And then it just, it became crazy in its need to protect us and like, and legitimately crazy, like mental illness is in my understanding of it is simply when the ego becomes more dominant than the rational responsible self. Maybe that's not the best way to say it, but it's like when the ego to an unhealthy extreme, that's when all mental illness starts to form or where all mental illness comes from. And it can take many different forms based on the different variations of circumstance. So I hope I answered the question. It's both. You know, we receive impressions early on in life that kind of starts the ball rolling, that kind of creates the program. And then throughout our lives, it gets, the evidence gets built and, and collected and, and then moves forward from there. So it's both. And what we all need to do is develop awareness about how our egos work, how they operate, how they perpetuate themselves, and then undo that. Like It's like we kind of work our way backwards. Right? So if we understand how the ego operates, what its motivations are, how it perpetuates itself, then we can work against that. And that's how more and more we bring our authentic self to the forefront. The ego moves to the background. I don't know that the ego ever disappears entirely. Perhaps for some people it does. I don't know. That is that great question. Thanks for the question, Sonia. That was an excellent question. There are three questions here. I'm going to do my best to take all three. I'm going to have to see how far we go but I'm going to do my best to take all three. Um, first one is by Kara Lessie. She says, how do you feel about letting men pursue women? I'm having a hard time with that. I'd be curious to know what the hard time that you're having is if you want to drop it in the comments. For me and, and my wife and I have talked about this. We both feel the same way. We think there is something beautiful about the, the tradition, about chivalry, about the man showing up for the woman in that way. Like she is... I don't mean this in any kind of negative sense, but like she is a prize. Like she is, like she is not, not a prize in any kind of diminished sense, but like, like she is the most amazing reward that he could ever have. And like he's showing up like I hope, I hope to be worthy of her. I think that looks very good on a man and it doesn't look very good on a woman. I think when women show up in that way, and, and maybe, maybe the difference is, is that women have the grace to handle a man showing up for them like that, and men don't. That could be the difference. But I do think there is something beautiful about that. Now, do I think it's necessary? I, don't, I mean, none of this is necessary, and, and I don't think any of us do it perfectly. So, like, I don't think there's anything wrong. I often say when I'm coaching a woman, I often say, like, throw out a challenge for him. You know, don't, don't say, will you take me out? But say something like, I'm getting a little bored waiting for you to ask me out again. Right? I think there's something 
flirty about that, something sexy about that, that challenges him to step up for you, but still allows him to be the one pursuing rather than you trying to pursue him. I think there is something to be said for that. I also think that when we talk about the polarities of masculine and feminine energy, that feminine energy is very magnetic to masculine energy. It draws it in. I want to say it draws it in when a woman is very much in her feminine and a man is very much in his masculine. There's a, there's a magnetism between them. And even if they're not particularly attracted to each other, just the fact that he's very strongly rooted in his masculine and she's very strongly rooted in her feminine, they're going to kind of look at each other and go like, Hey, who are you there? It's just, there's a, there's an energetic magnetism there. Even if they're just passing each other on the street, even if they never speak. So I think, and and I don't necessarily think the same magnetism works when it's reversed. When a man is very much in his feminine and a woman is very much in her masculine, I think it kind of works the opposite way. There's almost like a repelling quality about it, right? So I don't want to say these are hard rules that apply in every situation across the board. I think there's a lot of gray area. I think it's okay for women to, like I said, throw that challenge out there. Like, hey, come on, step up for me. If you want me, let's do something here. I think that's totally okay. I think it's also okay, like I said earlier, you know, if you're at work and you're having a great conversation with someone or if you're at the coffee shop and you hit it off with someone and you're having, you know, in an organic way and you want to invite them to grab a cup of coffee with you sometime, man or woman, I think that's totally okay. You know, when it gets to the active pursuing, like I think, I think when a woman does it to a man, it has the potential to play into his ego a lot. And not that all men would receive it that way, but I I think it is, I think it is a more masculine approach and it can have that kind of repelling effect. Right. Where if I'm taking the mat, if, if, if I'm speaking as though I were a woman, if I were taking the masculine approach as a woman, I might be depriving him of the opportunity to take that masculine approach that would then have him feel the way he wants to feel in this relationship, which would then make him more attracted to me. And this is maybe my personal opinion or my personal understanding. The traditions are there for a reason. And yes, they've been grossly abused and grossly, you know, like if we take like the 1950s housewife kind of thing, I mean, that is like a gross misuse of the tradition. You know, that that is it taken to an unhealthy extreme. Like, you know, I don't think women should be housewives or anything like that. Like that, that is the unhealthy extreme of that. But I think we could also go to an unhealthy extreme in the other direction too. And I think there is some something beautiful about these traditions when we can operate from them something very beautiful can emerge not to say we always have to or we always do like like there are definitely times in my relationship when maybe i'm being more feminine than my wife is right so i'm not saying that we always need to operate from these principles or that they always need to be in place or that these are absolute rules But when they are in place, when we can leverage the energy in this way, I think there is something beautiful about it and something powerful about it too. Those are my thoughts on it. It's a great question. And I know people have a lot of mixed feelings about it. Um, But yeah, those are my thoughts. And that's a great question. Uh, Bree Burningham has a question. What do you do when your partner has rules for you, but you have none for them? A lot of it would depend on what these rules are. Okay. Like, I mean... My kind of thing is like in, in a relationship, first of all, me and my wife, we don't have rules. We have agreements, you know, like for example, we're not going to go sleep with someone else. Like that's, that's an agreement we have. It's not a rule. You know, it's not, it's not like her telling me I can't go sleep with anybody. It's an agreement we made, you know, we're not going to do that. If you have agreements and you're calling them rules, maybe, maybe it's just a language thing there. But if your partner is putting rules on you, like do this, don't do that, you can do this, you can't do that, well, that's that's scary for me, honestly. I mean, that's like controlling. And if it is the way I'm hearing it, maybe it's not. But if it is, then that's pretty controlling. You know, I, I think 
the thing to do in a situation like that, you know, it would depend on a lot of things, how long you've been with this person, how committed you are to being with them, how other dynamics of the relationship are, you know, is, is it an overall really healthy, really happy relationship? And there's this one little thing where maybe your partner's feeling insecure and they want to make some rules, or is it a really controlling domineering relationship? So I'll, this could depend on a lot of things here. But what I would say is you have a conversation, something along the lines of, listen, honey, I love you. I appreciate you. I, I want to be with you. And like, I cannot be in a relationship where somebody is putting rules on me and telling me what I can and can't do. If there are issues that you're uncomfortable with, we can discuss those issues with an open heart, with open hearts and open minds. And we can talk about what we would both need to feel okay about those issues. And we can work on creating agreements that we're both going to feel good about, that we're both going to feel honored about, that, you know, that don't feel disrespectful or controlling or anything like that to either of us. And, you know, if we can come to those agreements, then awesome. But I'm not going to be told what I can and can't do or have rules imposed upon me. It's short answer have some kind of conversation like that and start there. If you can come to the agreements and you both feel good and you can move forward, amazing. If not, the next step would be to maybe find some counseling or find some support to figure out what other options you have. And if, if nothing else works, I mean, if this person is committed to having rules over you, I mean, your options are to be okay with that or not. I could personally never be okay with that. I could never be okay with someone telling me what I can and can't do. Um, I'm, I'm an open-minded and open-hearted person. If my wife has a problem with something, I am willing to hear her out. I am willing to make reasonable agreements so we can both feel okay about it, but I can never be okay with somebody just telling me what I can and can't do. Never. So those are my thoughts on that. I hope that's supportive. Okay. There was one other question I wanted to get to today, and then I think I'm going to make this the last one. I'm talking to seeing, this question is from Carly Rossi. I'm talking to seeing several men at the same time, but none express their wanting to go into something more serious. Neither do any of them convince me to choose them. Am I being too picky? Is my ego just seeking validation and attention from men? Do I need to work on self-worth and confidence? Oh, this is great. This is a great question. Thanks for the question, Carly Rossi. Okay, so seeing multiple men at the same time, um, Neither of them are showing you what you think you would want to see to like move forward. Like this person's showing me the kind of dedication and commitment. Um, am I just being too picky or am I, is my ego needing validation? I love this question. To move forward in a relationship, there are a few basic requirements. I break it down like this. You know, we need to be on the same page about like moving things forward. If you never plan a date unless I bring it up, like we're not on the same page. Like if you're not naturally just wanting to see me, like like you're sitting alone in your own time and you're like, man, I would really like to see her again or see him again. Like, you know, if, if that's not happening, then there's, there's something off here. There's something that's not working. <laughs> you know, we're not on the same page. Um, you know, I don't like to be like real strong about texting and calling. You know, some people like to be on the phone more than others. Um, but you know, if we can't maintain regular communication, like if, if, if I text you and you don't text me back for days, like if you can't just fit it into your schedule to get back to me within a few hours, you know, and, and there's kind of a regular, you know, if it takes a little bit longer, sometimes that's okay. But if there's not kind of a regular communication back and forth, that's a problem. Um, if, you know, if we don't want the same things long-term, right? Like if, if I've, if I've communicated to you what I'm looking for and you don't want the same things, that's a problem to start. I, I would say that those are kind of like, I call it the three C's consistency, common vision and commitment, right? Those are the three C's. And so consistency is, you know, do you respond to me in a regular amount of time? Do, do we talk regularly? Do we see each other regularly? Uh, common vision is, do we want the same things? You know, are we going in the same direction? And commitment is, are we both moving this forward? Do we have that desire to take the next step to see each other, to spend time with each other? If those three things are there, 
I think it's okay to take somebody seriously. Someone says, what was it? It was consistency, common vision, and commitment. Okay, consistency is, is there regularity? Do we talk regularly? Do we text regularly? Do we see each other regularly? Not being a Nazi about it, not being super strong about it, but just, you know, in general, do we? Um, Common vision, are we going in the same direction? Do we want the same things? And commitment, do we both have this personal desire to move things forward, to take that next step, to see each other, to spend time together? Is that coming on both sides, not just one side? If those three things are there, it's okay to move forward and take the person seriously. And then it becomes about determining personal compatibility. So those three things might be there, but you just might not feel like you really like that person or like you really want to be with them all the time or like you really see a future with them or like you've, you know, you really enjoy your time with them or like they, like being around them lights you up or like you can have great conversations with them. So if those three things are there, that's enough to take the person seriously. And then you've got to be about compatibility. All right. So I'm going to wrap it up there. We've But uh, thank you, everybody, for being with me today. Thank you for joining in live. To those of you listening on the podcast, thank you for listening in with me every week. Um, Lots of love to all of you, wherever you're hearing this, however you're hearing this. Next week, I will not be live on Instagram because I'm going to be having an interview podcast. And so the podcast will be live on Thursday as normal. But um, I won't be live on Instagram on Tuesday. So those of you who are with me on Instagram... Uh, make sure you go check out the podcast. I am interviewing my friend and a fellow coach named um, Emily DeBover. She is awesome. She's incredible. We're going to be talking about how to heal your relationship with men. She's going to be sharing her story, her personal experience, and what she does with her clients. Sending everybody so much love. We're going to close it out today. Uh, Lots of love, lots of blessings, and we'll see you guys back here next week. All right, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, at The Living Relationship, to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.